Darling, didn't anyone ever tell you the rules you use to judge yourself aren't real? We are back. This is another episode of Confidently She. I'm Rebecca Biggie. And I want to start this episode with like a little word of wisdom. It's not entirely related to the topic of the episode, but who knows? Maybe I'll find a thread that ties it together later. But wanted to share a thought with you a word of wisdom with you, even if you take nothing else from this episode other than what I share in these first few minutes, uh, I want to give you something tangible to take away and think about. And that's the idea of being patient. Being patient with your progress. You have to be open-minded with what progress might look like right now, too. Your definition or expectation of progress might be different from what progress really looks like at this stage for you. So what you may count as a setback or what you may count as a struggle or an obstacle, that might be, and probably is, the step forward that's going to make you stronger for the thing you're trying to achieve. And the reason I thought about this, I've been getting back into running lately. Not not heavily, but last week I ran, I did a five-mile run kind of out of nowhere, and that felt really great. I was like, wow, okay, I my body still can just kind of do these long runs. And and then just last night, I went out for a run, and I was, I was hurting. Oh, I was hurting. I felt weak. My knee was kind of feeling a little off. And so instead of a five-mile run, I think I did about four, four and a half. And there was a lot of walking in there. there was, I had to break it up. But knowing the the steps and the progress and and the path that it took me when I was training 10 years ago for the the marathon I remembered that a lot of my a lot of progress in running is made on those runs that feel terrible you feel weak you feel like it's not going well that's the time that the stamina is really built, that the conditioning really happens in your body. And so if it's true for your body, it's going to be true for your mind. It's going to be true for your relationships. It's going to be true for your your business. It's going to be true for your career. It's those times where it isn't easy. That's actually the progress. If you can make it through that, you're being strengthened. You're being fine-tuned you're you're persevering ha here it is i i tied it in okay are you ready so this episode is about what what does our relationship to our bodies have to do with holiness and godliness and how does a worldly body like the definition of what the world will say your body should be, differ from a redeemed body, a body that is is living in this world temporarily, knowing that this isn't all there is, right? How do we as Christians view our bodies? And how does God view our bodies? And how are we called to live from a perspective of our physical form. And when I approach this, I, I look for overarching themes in scripture. 
And the themes that I see, whether it's physical, spiritual, mental, relational, all of that, there are themes around discipline and perseverance. Those are the two big themes that I see throughout scripture that we are called to be. We are called to be disciplined in the way we live. We are called to persevere. And we are also called to balance. We are not called to be people of extremes. We see this in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 18. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. So how do we think about that when we apply it to the relationship we have with our body? Because, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, are we taught to live in extremes when we enter the fitness world, when we enter the diet world, when we look for advice on how to be healthy There are extreme methods everywhere, and the extreme methods are the ones that we trust the most, are the ones that we try, are the ones that we believe because they promise results faster, because we don't have the patience, the discipline, and the perseverance to trust a balanced approach to our health and our bodies. But when you have discipline and perseverance and patience, you trust a more balanced approach because that's a more sustainable approach to having a healthy body relationship and to to eating well, to exercising in a way that is recognizing the potential and the, the strength of your body without abusing it, without abusing that potential or without making an idol of that potential. So we started a little bit with with this concept in Ecclesiastes of balance, avoiding extremes. There's a lot more in Ecclesiastes that talks about what, what the good life really is and how we are to spend our time here on this earth, written by the wisest most successful man to ever live, Ecclesiastes. So that's why I love that book. But before we get there, I think it's important to say the fact that our bodies are mentioned in scripture means God has something to say about how we behave and how we steward our bodies. In in the last couple episodes, if you paid attention, I called to attention the fact that some of these topics we are obsessed with in Christian culture aren't even addressed in scripture. Things like dating, things like pursuing romantic relationships, not addressed. In the sense of, you know, there's no like guiding factors that scripture really tells this is how you do this you know like yeah they say don't be yoked with unbelievers but that isn't specifically for romantic relationships as we discussed apart from that you know dating isn't a focus in scripture right jesus didn't come here to to be our relationship and dating coach um another thing that isn't mentioned uh of how to do certain things is how to dress what to wear it's spoken about in a way that there are certain things you shouldn't do, like don't dress in a way that indicates specifically that you are a temple prostitute, right? We talked about that in the last episode, but it doesn't say this is what you should wear, you know? So the fact that God gives prescriptions to his people for what to eat and how to view their body and how to care for your body. Not like a how-to step-by-step, but certain principles. That means it matters to God. And if it matters to God, it, it surely should matter to us, right? It should matter to us. So let's dive in a little more to some of these differences between what the world says our body should be versus what God says our body is. And what is the difference between someone pursuing a worldly body versus someone pursuing a redeemed body? So 
let's let's get into kind of the worldly expectations, right? Because these are pretty obvious. They're everywhere. It's you need to be physically fit to the point where you meet the current beauty standard. And it's not about health. It's about fit fitness, fitting into the beauty standard because to the world, your body is a way to get attention. It is a way to get acceptance. It is a way to get love. So your body needs to be perfect. You can't have flaws. If you if you look different from what people want you to look like, you need to change that. And that's why industries like the diet industry, the fitness industry, beauty industry, plastic surgery industries are all individually and collectively multi-billion dollar industries. Because people buy into this, they buy into this belief that yes, I do need to change my body in order to meet these expectations that either other people have of me or that I have of myself because of the exposure that I've had to this culture. But let me say one thing. If you lived alone by yourself on a deserted island, you would never have the inclination to get a boob job. You would never have the inclination to get a nose job. You would never have the inclination to like lose weight or gain weight in certain areas, put on muscle mass. You just wouldn't. Okay, so to think in your mind that, well, I want to do this for me. I, I really want to to, you know, change the way my nose is shaped for me. I, unpack it. Unpack that belief because I'm telling you, you would not feel the same way if you were on a deserted island all by yourself, not exposed to culture, okay? But that's the message of a worldly body. Someone pursuing a worldly body is pursuing perfection. And perfection is defined by the current beauty standard. And this is something I mentioned in a previous episode as well, is that every decade or so, depending on which decade you grew up in and you were a teenager or you were going to college, you know, during these formidable years, your expectations of your body will be different from mine. You know, if you grew up in the Baywatch era with the you know, the big boobs and just the really, really thin, skinny, skinny body. That's what you're still going to be working towards in your mind. But if you grew up in the curvy, you know, we got the early 2000s, J-Lo and all that, like you, you would never want to be that thin, right? It's not so much about getting the boob job as it is about getting the, you know, the BBL. So... The fact that these different ideas that we have are different means that they're not objective. They're not true. It's all cultural conditioning. And that conditioning is different depending on which decade you grew up in. So someone pursuing that idea of perfection, it's not even consistent across the board. But when, it's interesting when you look at your actual health, Metrics, things like blood tests, iron levels, cholesterol levels, all that, those metrics we understand and, and they don't really change, right? Like it's never been suggested to have high blood pressure, right? It's never been suggested to have low, low iron in your blood. That's never been a metric for health. So those are the types of things we should really actually be focusing on if we want to have a healthy body. But to be honest, when it comes to the world and the expectations and the standards, the world doesn't care about your health. The world cares about you paying money to the, the businesses to change your body to meet this level of perfection that they have crafted that is completely outside of your reach without their help. And they disguise it in different ways, right? They call it health, 
They say that following this diet very rigidly and very strictly is going to get you the results that you want and you're going to have the body that you've always wanted. But how many times have you followed the diet, you've done all the things, and it, it, you're, you're still back at square one? They lie. <laughs> they lie. Because you can't control the outcome the way that you have been promised that you can. Because it's not even your fault. It's not even our fault for believing these people. It's, it's their fault for misleading us. Right? So worldly body, if you're pursuing a worldly body, you're pursuing perfection. And that means perfection in how you show up, perfection in your results, perfection, perfection, perfection. And that is exhausting. It takes up all of your mental space, not let alone your time, your money, your resources. And when you think about resources, you have to think about more than just money. Your mental space is your most valuable resource. And think of how much mental space your body image takes up. Your diet could take up. Your fitness routine could take up. Yeah. Draining resources. Draining resources. Additionally, if you are pursuing a worldly body, you are not allowed to age. <laughs> Which is um, impossible, right? Like, yes, there's advances in technology to do that, like, cryotherapy, like, freezing yourself, basically, so that you don't age as much. But you're fighting against nature if you're trying to delay aging, reverse aging. Like, you can't do that, okay? Time is coming for us all. And th that just shows how ridiculous the expectations are that pursuing a worldly body will place on you. You're supposed to never age. You're supposed to always look perfect, be perfect, and spend all your time and energy pursuing this perfect body. How, how would you be able to do anything else? They give us these people to look up to. Oh, wow, look at Beyonce. Oh, wow, look at this model. Oh, wow, look at this fitness, fitness influencer. It's like, well, yeah, of course, that's their whole job is to look like that. Their whole job is to look a certain way. But my job isn't to, that's not my job. I have a different job. So how am I expected to spend the same type of time and devotion and effort and expend those resources if I'm not getting paid for that? That's not what my livelihood is. I don't get my livelihood from how I look. So why would I invest that much time, energy, and resources into it? And the answer is, you shouldn't. <laughs> That's why pursuing a worldly body leaves you feeling so empty. Even if you reach these goals, even if you feel like you're hitting these goals, it's like you better stay on that hamster wheel because the second you let up, the second you get off, everyone else is passing you by. How long are you going to be able to keep that up? It's impossible. It's impossible. So... Perfection, never aging, all that. Let's talk about our redeemed body. And if you're pursuing a redeemed body, a stress-free body is available to you if you are pursuing health in this way. So I have a ton of scripture references about how God views our body, how what we were created for, and what the purpose of our bodies really are because the if you're pursuing a worldly body it would it would indicate that the purpose of your body is to look good at all costs look good at all costs but is that really in the design of our body if we were all designed to look good wouldn't we all look good wouldn't that be part of, of the design from the beginning of, hey, everybody's going to look the same way because the purpose of your body is to look good. So you're all going to look the same. You're all going to look beautiful. Aging isn't really going to be a thing. 
And it's going to be really simple to maintain this type of physique and this type of look because that's what you're designed to do. No, <laughs> that's that's not what we see when we look at the nature of human bodies. And it's not what we see when we look to scripture to see, you know, what what really God called us to do and and how he created us. So let's start with Genesis. Okay. Genesis 1, 27 through 29. God created man in his image. If we're created in his image and we're all created to be different, that means every impression of a human being reflects a unique version, a unique image of God. It's like when you literally have children, you are a unique reflection of your parents. You and your siblings are not exactly the same. You know, one person maybe has the nose of your mom and and you have the nose of your dad, but but you both look alike, but you're not the same, but you both look like your parents, but you neither of you look like them. There's this infinite infinite nature of being made in the image of God that we are all made in his image but yet none of us are the same imagine the different facets that would need to come from from a being where we are all reflecting his image imagine the nuance imagine the the scope of that if we are all made in his image one thing that i find very interesting very interesting <clears throat> genesis 1:27 god created man is man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number. Fulfill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. At this time, <laughs> Eve was not on the scene. You realize this? Eve was created in Genesis 2. So if God is referring to man as male and female <laughs> when only Adam was created so far, that's interesting to me. That's beyond the scope of this episode, but that's interesting to me, right? Eve doesn't come until Genesis 2, 21 and 22. That's when the woman is made. But God is saying... God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So man had a calling. Man was created and he had a calling. And that calling was not sit around, entertain yourself, and I will provide for you and you won't need to do any work. That's not what we are called to do. Human beings are called to be fruitful, subdue the earth, rule over the earth. And then in, in verse 29, God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So he gave a prescription for what man was supposed to eat at that time. Because as you read the whole story, as you read the whole scripture, you will find that this prescription changes. So man was created in the image of God, male and female. <laughs> I think that that's very interesting. Um, anyway, so, so he was created in the image of God to subdue the earth, to rule over the earth, and was given seed-bearing fruit to eat. So we see that in Genesis 1, 27 through 29. But then we get an update after the flood. Genesis 9, 3 and 4. 
Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. So, after the flood, God gives a new update on what food we are to eat. And it's been increased a little bit, right? So we went from vegetarian, vegan to omnivore, carnivore. We can eat all these other things, but there's still some restriction. Still some restriction. You're not supposed to eat food with a lifeblood still in it. I don't know. That's probably, that, I don't really know what that means, but because there's another update coming later. So the final update on the current rules and expectations for food, God gives us more and more freedom as the human race goes on. So in Romans 14, we see the newest update, which is basically eat whatever you want because it's not about what goes into a man's body that saves him. It's about what comes out of a man. It's about your heart. So it's, it's not about following every single rule. It's about having the correct heart posture in why you do things when you do them. Why are you eating this certain food? So Romans 14, 2 says, One man's faith allows him to eat anything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Romans 14, 14. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. So really, it's, it's why are you doing what you're doing? In verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's like, okay... The religious people at the time were all about, you know, we can't eat this, we can eat that, we only eat this on certain days, we do this, we do that. And and that was how they kept their bodies holy and pure and clean. But what Romans is saying is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. So basically, it's, I don't care what you eat. Are you living in a righteous way? Do you have peace in your heart? And do you have a joyful spirit? Because those are the characteristics of the kingdom of God. I don't care about all these these rules anymore. That's not what you should be focusing on. Don't have all your mental energy focused on what you should be eating and not eating. And I think we can take this concept into how we view our bodies in general. Because, yeah, we're not thinking about and obsessing over what we should eat because, you know, that makes us unclean or impure. But we do obsess over it because it makes us feel like we are morally right if we eat certain food and we are morally wrong if we eat other food. Food is amoral. There is no morality when it comes to food. You can eat a bag of Doritos and be a good person (laughs) and be a joyful person and be a peaceful person. And in fact, I will argue you will reflect more accurately the kingdom of God in righteousness, peace, and joy if you do not obsess over what you eat for whatever reason. So... God has something to say about the food we put in our body. In the beginning, it was only a certain type of vegetable, fruits. After the flood, meat was introduced. And then New Testament, Jesus fulfills the law. Now we have this freedom to choose. But to choose in a way that promotes peace and joy and righteousness. Really think about this. So if you are pursuing a redeemed body, you're not counting your calories every single day if it stresses you out. You're not weighing yourself every day if it stresses you out. You're not binge eating Reese's cups on Saturday night because you're starting a new diet on Monday. 
and you have to get it get it all in before you cut this out of your life forever. And again, it's it's coming back to this balance. You know, one side of it is completely giving into gluttony and giving into, you know, I'm I'm accepted the way I am and I'm loved the way I am and so therefore I'm not going to I'm not going to take care of my body and I'm I'm not going to exercise and I'm going to eat whatever I want because I can because I'm free to do so because this is America and and it's my choice. And to that God says, "Yeah, it is your choice, but are are you exercising the freedom because you're an American and like I, it's a free country, I can eat whatever I want?" Or are you going to reflect my principles of discipline and perseverance? And we're going to get into that in a second. So the one ditch that you can fall into is, well, I don't have to worry about any of this because, you know, it doesn't make a difference as far as my salvation. So I'm going to do whatever I want. And on the other side, it can be, you know, legalistic about about how you view your body and how you view food and exercise. And you can be so stressed and regimented that... You never enjoy your life. You don't have peace. You don't have enjoyment. Okay? So those are the two ways that you can get off track here. And so that's really just talking about the food element of the redeemed body. But let's talk about the care element. Because sometimes what what we can see in this redeemed body is you know, we throw away all sense of expressing our beauty as women because it's seen as vanity. You know, we talked about that in another episode. Like, oh, if you're beautiful, that means you're vain. You're conceited. And, you know, you can't, you can't present yourself or put a lot of effort into the way you look because that in itself is vanity. That's not true. We'll see in the book of Esther an example of how God used a beautiful woman to fulfill the work of saving the people of Israel. It was all because of Esther. And what did Esther go through in order to to be chosen as this person? Well, let me tell you. Esther 2, 9, and 12 So verse 9 says, The girl, being Esther, pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. Hmm, interesting. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Verse 12, Before a girl's turn came to go in to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women. Six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. A year. She went through a year's worth of oil treatments and cosmetic treatments and eating special food. So that would also indicate that the what the things you eat have an influence on how beautiful you are, on what you look like, right? She went through all these things to become the queen. And so are we also prescribed to do these things? No. But I'm using this as an example of how God values and uses beauty. You are not, you are not sinful because God made you beautiful. God does not want you to dim and demean and distract from and downplay the way he made you. In fact, he may use you in a similar way as Esther, where you are created in a way that the world currently views you as beautiful, maybe going through and doubling down on your beauty is what God is calling you to do in a certain stage of your life. I don't know. 
but don't put limits, limits that the church put on you to what God may be telling you. Because it's not true that God doesn't value beauty. It's not true that beauty is vanity. And it's not true that if if people find you beautiful, that's something you need to downplay or apologize for or hide or anything like that. God makes some people certain ways and other people other ways. And we can see throughout the course of human history, we don't even qualify beauty the same way. God plays by his own rules, <laughs> okay? And the rules that we try to impose on ourselves do not supersede the rules and the, the way that God operates. So it's like just because we deem something as sexy doesn't mean that that's how God designed it. God designs things and we project our own ideas onto them, but that doesn't mean it changes the intent of the design. You with me? Are you tracking? I don't view my body as a sexual object anymore. I used to, but I don't view my body as a sexual object anymore after I now view myself as this redeemed body. Same body, different perspective, okay? So that's the point that I want to make around how God uses beauty. He also uses strength, right? But he he gives strength to our bodies. And, and the strength that we may have is a gift that we need to use, not abuse it, and realize that it can be taken away at any time. So if you are a strong If your body is strong and capable right now, that's great. Nourish that, support that, expand that, but don't become so ingrained in that being part of your personality and part of your identity that if you were to lose that, you wouldn't know who you are anymore. You wouldn't feel like you have value anymore. This reminds me of the story of Samson, right? In the book of Judges, We meet Samson, and what do we think of when we think of Samson and Delilah? We think of how strong Samson was. But was it Samson who was strong? Because every time it is mentioned that he does some miraculous exhibit of strength, it says, the spirit gave him power. The spirit came on him in power and he was able to do this. The spirit came on him in power and he was able to do that. But once he disconnected from God, right? Once Delilah, you know, cut his hair, he was disconnected from God. He didn't have that strength anymore. He didn't have it. I'm just giving this as an example of like, just remember where your strength really comes from and where your abilities really come from and how temporary all of this can be. Because when you're pursuing a redeemed body, you fully embrace the fact that the, the abilities and capabilities and, and all the, the different factors that are going on with your body can and will change. And you're not afraid of that because you know that it all comes from God. He, he gives it to you and he can take it away. And the trust that you have in him makes it so that you aren't afraid of that. Because so many people, you know, we're afraid of getting older. We're afraid of losing our strength. We're afraid of losing our beauty or our bodies changing, but we shouldn't be afraid of that. Shouldn't be afraid of that. So now let's move into... the purpose the purpose of our life we find this in ecclesiastes best book of the bible if you ask me ecclesiastes mentions this several times we'll start with 224 a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work 
says it again in chapter 3, verse 13. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Of course, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I think it's important that we read that whole verse. So verse 11 is saying that he's made everything beautiful in his time. So if God made you beautiful, I don't think beauty would be a sin, right? He's not going to make you into something that is bad. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. What does that mean? To me, that says we have a longing in our soul. We know that we exist beyond what we're currently seeing and living and experiencing. He set eternity in the hearts of man. But because we're living in these finite, temporary bodies, we can't fathom what that really means. We can't fathom it. So we struggle to try and grasp that eternity by never aging, by controlling everything, <laughs> by... All these earthly pursuits. If I can just make a name for myself, if I can just, you know, live longer, that will fulfill this, this yearning of the eternity that is set in our hearts. But that's not what we're supposed to do. All we're supposed to do is eat and drink and find satisfaction in all our work. And I think that this is so easily missed and that our relationship with our body can, can be so separated from our spiritual life, but it is so connected. The wisest man to ever live, the most successful man to ever live said, you know what? The best thing you can do is eat, drink, and enjoy your work. That's, that's the best thing. He didn't say, have this amount of money, have this many wives, have this, have that. He said, eat, drink, enjoy your work. That's the biggest blessing from God during all these meaningless days of, of your life. Everything is meaningless. Everything comes and goes. So all you can do is eat and drink. And what does a bad relationship with our body do? It robs us of this gift from God to enjoy what we eat and what we drink. It's two of the three things. <laughs> right? We're being robbed of two thirds of this gift. And I don't want you to be robbed of this because of some false promise of perfection. You will not reach a level of perfection with your body. You just won't. You need to enjoy your life. This is what Ecclesiastes 8.15 says. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in all his work, all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. He says it so many times in Ecclesiastes. Why don't we live this way as Christians? Enjoy what you eat. Enjoy what you drink. Enjoy your life. Enjoy these days. That's the, that's the best that you can do, okay? Now, I understand because I can hear someone saying, well, that's in the Old Testament. You know, we're called to do, we're called to suffer for Christ. We're called to do these things. You are right. I'm getting there. Okay. Don't write me off yet. I'm getting there. I've read the whole thing, but let's keep, keep going with some of these concepts that are hit over and over again by the most wise, successful man to ever live. Okay. Go into verse, uh, uh, chapter nine, verse seven. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Take care of your body. Enjoy your food because these are blessings from God. He says to, to eat and drink 
like every other chapter in here, which I find just so powerful. I find it powerful. So we'll end in Ecclesiastes 11.10. I had written this down. Yeah, okay. So final kind of word on the body. So chapter 11, verse 10. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. He, he literally says it. Youth and vigor are meaningless. Cast off the troubles of your body. Banish anxiety from your heart. How much anxiety does thinking about your body cause you? Banish anxiety. Cast off the troubles from your heart. For youth and vigor are meaningless. When you do these things, you will be able to enjoy your life. You won't stress about ordering the dessert at dinner. We are called to do this. We are advised to do this. It wouldn't have made it in the scripture if it wasn't important. Okay? So this is the recommendation. This is what life is about from someone who has experienced it all. So before we get into the New Testament and how we are to see ourselves and the fact that Jesus uses the analogy of a body to describe the the church and the body of Christ and how we are all to work together and honor the different parts and respect the different parts of the church body and of Christ's body, how would we have a different perspective on our own literal bodies? Before we get into that, we're going to take a tour through Proverbs because there, there are parts of Proverbs that mention ways to conduct yourself. These are words of wisdom. These are things to take with you and bind around your heart because it says Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. If your heart can be at peace with all pieces of who you are, not just your body, but if we're talking about the body, if your heart is at peace, it will bring life to your body. You will feel joy. Your body will function differently. But if you are envious, if you have that within you, it literally causes health issues. Proverbs also talks specifically about gluttony and spending time with people who drink too much wine or eat too much meat. Proverbs 23.2 specifically speaks to avoiding gluttony. I think it uses some pretty graphic image, imagery um, there. But then Proverbs 23.20-21 20 through 21, says, do not surround yourself with those who gorge themselves on wine and meat because drunkards and gluttons become poor. This is a warning of a lifestyle. Not only should you not do that, but don't be around those types of people. This is what Proverbs says. And finally, Proverbs 25, 16 talks about moderation. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much and you will vomit when you have blessings, when you have those, those opportunities to eat something sweet, to have something that is good, that you enjoy. Make sure you enjoy it in moderation. This is, this is what Proverbs has to say about food and about the way our perspective on ourselves and on life impacts our bodies because it does. Stress is the number one reason why people have health issues. Stress. If you can reduce your stress, you will be so much better off. So this is what we're called to do. But how do we do that? How do we reduce our stress? It's like, yeah, okay, great. This is what this is what I'm trying to do. Well, first of all, you got to spend some time to unpack what, what it exactly is stressing you out. And you can do that through my book, The Body Image Solution. It unpacks all the things that you can be thinking, feeling, doing about your body 
that are messing this up, okay? So order your copy of The Body Image Solution on Amazon, work through that. It's like a workbook style book. So you will actually make progress on this if you order that book. That's the how, right? Because it's different for everyone. But the mindset and the perspective is the same for all of us. And that's what we find in New Testament scripture. And to be honest, it was overwhelming. I am looking at my notes right now, overwhelmed by how many pieces of scripture that I found relating to the body, relating to what the body is, how it works, how we're supposed to view ourselves. We find this in 1 Timothy, Hebrews, James, 2 Peter, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Romans. Like it's everywhere. So for something to be this, to show up this many times and for for this to not really be a focus in a lot of Christian commentary and, and circles, I think that's that's a missed opportunity. I think we're getting something wrong here because we talk so much about these other topics that aren't covered in scripture to try to fill in the blanks that we're not supposed to be filling in, but we don't actually focus on the things that are talked about. So 1 Timothy 4.8 talks about physical fitness being of some value, but spiritual fitness being of eternal value. So here is, is where it's mentioned that there is value in physical fitness, right? There's value in that to, to take care of your body, to make sure that your body is operating at its full capacity, but very quickly, later in 2 Peter 1.13, the body is referenced as a tent, as this temporary tent that I'm living in during this life. And if you've ever gone camping, you know that like you don't invest a lot of time and energy and effort into decorating your tent because it's only going to be there for like a week max, maybe three, four days. You're not really like decorating your tent. You're not making sure that it's super clean and pretty and, you know, putting out a, a welcome mat for visitors. And, you know, it, it, it's like, okay, the tent is serving its purpose. I'm going to make sure there's no holes in the tent. I'm going to make sure that everything is right and everything is, you know, zipped up and, and correct. But I'm not out here like decorating this tent and buying all these things to put in the tent. And I, I'm not investing or worrying about if something happens to this tent because it's like, well, it's just a it's just a tent. You know, I'm not living there forever. And that's how we need to look at our bodies. It's as simple as that. Because we are not our bodies. We are separate from our bodies. It says in James 2.26, the body without the spirit is dead. Just like faith without works is dead. But he draws this analogy because we know that this is true. The body exists separately from the spirit. You need your spirit in your body in order to be alive. So that means that you are more than just your body. So why are we putting so much emphasis on what our body looks like, on what our body is, when the spirit is what lives on forever? When the spirit and the heart is what God tells us really has value. Not that we don't care for it. Remember, physical fitness is of some value, but not eternal value. So you got to hold on to that with open hands. Because 1 Corinthians 3.16 our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we do want to honor it, but not to a, to a point where it becomes out of place for what it really is in the eyes of eternity. You are able to do what you want with your body, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 15, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial for me. We have to focus on what is beneficial because 1 Corinthians goes on to say in 15, 38 through 44, we will have a new body. So let me talk about this resurrected 
body, right? First Corinthians 15, 38 through 44. This is something, well, actually I'll start in 37, but this is something that I have rarely heard taught about that I find very interesting when it comes to the perspective we should have on our bodies. So it starts by saying, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in its dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. If you really rock with this, if you really believe this, why would you be stressing over the condition of the seed you're planting in the ground? Not why would you care, I'm saying why would you be stressing? The seed is meant to break apart. The seed is meant to grow into something else. Stop worrying about the seed. This is just a tent that we're living in. This is a seed that's going to be planted. Does the seed matter? Yes. Do you got to make sure the tent is right? Yes. But that's not the focus. Because Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created to do good works. And getting back to the concept of discipline and perseverance, Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it will reap a reward of righteousness. So when you're putting in the discipline to strengthen your body, to get into a regimen of eating food that is going to be beneficial for your body, that discipline is not going to be pleasant at the time, but later on it, har- it plants a seed and harvests of righteousness. That's what it says. This can be applied to so many different things. And then again in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5.29 says, For no man hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. We are called to feed and care for our body. Ephesians 5.1, we are called to be imitators of God. And even if you just take that verse, imitators of God. So our goals for this redeemed body should be peace. We are striving towards balance. How do we get that balance? Through discipline, perseverance, peace, enjoyment of life, avoiding gluttony, avoiding an obsession with physical fitness. You know, physical fitness is of some value, but not ultimate value. Embracing the beauty that we may have, fostering that beauty, taking care of ourselves and accurately and joyfully reflecting the image of God that we carry and that we bear, but all the while keeping in the forefront of our mind that these bodies are temporary. Carrying with open hands the the balance and living in the tension of, I am a temple of the Lord. And this body here on earth is a temporary tent that I'm living in. Every single piece of my body was designed and given to me by God. So therefore it deserves my respect. It deserves my honor. However, it is not going to take up my whole focus. It is not going to take up my whole life. I am not going to spend all my time and all my resources pursuing quote, health at any cost, because health is more than just physical. It is spiritual, it is relational, it is emotional, all those things. And there is so much freedom 
in pursuing this redeemed body. And it comes down to if you re- do you really believe this? You know, do you do you really believe this? Because if you don't, then nothing I said really should it matters to you, right? Like why would you be following these things if you don't really believe it? But if you do believe it, then give up that idea of perfection. God did not make you to be perfect. This is not the finished result. These are our earthly bodies. We will have heavenly bodies. We are created in his image, but we are not created to be these perfect, attractive vessels for attention and applause. And, you know, we're also not created to live forever in these bodies. So when you look at the comparison between what pursuing a worldly body looks like versus pursuing, you know, maintaining this redeemed body, it's a totally different goal. From a worldly perspective, this body is all you have. But the great thing about what God does when you walk with him is he redeems and refines and renews every part of you slowly over time. This is a character development refining process. That's what life is. And the goal of this earthly body is no longer the end-all be-all of our identity and our existence because we know that it's not meant to last forever. So we don't have to worry about it like it's supposed to last forever. The thing that lasts forever is your heart, your spirit. That's what's forever. So do not burden your heart. Do not burden your spirit in exchange for this earthly body that you that you desire to have. If it is a burden to your spirit, if it is a burden to your heart to maintain this type of earthly body, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So this is the perspective that I carry with me as I think about what is good for me, what is beneficial for me and my physical body. The things that I have boiled it down to are prioritizing sleep, water, body weight exercises. Like I don't go crazy with weightlifting or anything. Like I like to run here and there, but mostly it's walking, you know, and and to the world that sounds like, well, that's not enough. You got to do more. Imagine how how great your body could look if you did three times what you're doing now. But in my mind, I'm like, for what? So that my body looks a certain way? Okay, again, for what? Who Who's benefiting from that? Because I'm not interested in devoting the mental energy, the physical energy, the time, and the focus to having my body look a certain way. I'm just not because of the perspective change and the heart change that I have towards my body. And yeah, does that mean that I I, I need to take care of myself? Absolutely. That's where the discipline and the perseverance comes in. But it's always with this, this perspective of balance and longevity and sustainability. So if you're struggling with your body image, it's because you're focused on a worldly body. You're pursuing a worldly body and you have the freedom to pursue this redeemed body, which is, you know, serving its purpose, but it is not the purpose. And I think that's where a lot of our stress and anxiety comes from because a worldly body is your purpose on this earth, right? If you're coming at it from that worldly perspective. But 
from a redeemed perspective, this is just our vehicle to get to the next thing. So you want to make sure your vehicle's running smoothly, but you don't need to spend too much time investing in making sure that it's like perfect and it's going to last forever because it won't. It won't. This was a big undertaking. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for hanging in here with me till the end. I hope that this brought you a new perspective, that it brought you some peace. You can, you know, write down some of these scriptures and, and dig into them yourself and, and ask God, you know, what what do you have to say here about this for me? And, and find some peace in knowing that you are separate from your body. You are not your body because these bodies are passing away. They are passing away. So thank you again for listening to this episode. I'm Rebecca Biggie. This is Confidently She, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>